Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Sarah and Amber's Epic Podcast, Part 2. Now, this is the good stuff. All right, so we've got our guest, Sarah, here, who's a master of the play Waiting for Godot. So, Sarah, why don't you give us a brief overview? What do you think of the um, play? Well, it's definitely an adventure to read. Yes. Um, it was very circular, very existentialist, and a lot of times it felt like there was no point to what was being said, but then again, that is kind of the whole point of existentialism. Uh, so the pointlessness had a point to it. Yes. I like it. The whole theme of this book is pointlessness, it's existentialism as its finest. Fantastic. All right. So... Throughout the play, there's a character frequently mentioned by the people who are waiting for him, Godot. So, oftentimes, whenever the pointlessness comes back to a full circle in some sort, they'll conclude it by saying, oh, we're waiting for Godot, and then the pointlessness continues. So, with that in mind, what what is Godot to you? What do you think he is? So, to me, Godot was meant to be, like... To me, he was kind of meant to symbolize purpose. Right. In that, you know, you have Vladimir and Estragon, the two main characters, and they talk about how they come to this place every single day, and they're waiting for Godot. But every single day, Godot will not show up. So then, you know, they get depressed, and they get upset, and they talk about things like killing themselves. They just, they don't do anything with their lives because they're waiting for something to do, which would be meeting Godot. Right. So to me, that was kind of like they're waiting for a purpose. They're waiting for a task or something to do with their own lives. And I, one of the reasons I believe that Godot never comes is because they are waiting for a purpose rather than going out to try and find it. Yeah. So to me, that was kind of one of the overarching themes of this whole play was that you have to go out and be willing to find or create your own purpose rather than just sitting and waiting for one you know you can kind of see that on the cover here like he's it's like one of the guys waiting he's like looking at the moon which i suppose could represent a dove and he's like sitting there like why aren't you coming to me and he's got to go to the moon the moon doesn't come to you you know or is that the sun i don't know i don't know either but i like that analysis yeah Godot also sounds like a cheese okay anyway (laughs) um so the two main characters that are talked about the most that, as you described, um, are waiting for a purpose are Vladimir and Estrogen, or Estrogen. Estrogen. So what in your mind are they meant to symbolize? And why is it important that they're the focus in terms of characters? All right, so my boys, Vladdy and Estra. Vladdy and Estra. You see, to me, Vladimir was kind of meant to represent optimism. All right. And in, in my, from what I saw, it kind of felt like Estragon was meant to be pessimism. And the way that you look at page six, when Estragon is complaining, saying Godot should be here and he's not going to come, and what if he doesn't come? And Vladimir is saying he didn't say for sure that he'd come. He'll, we'll come back tomorrow. He will be here. And it just kind of goes to show that, like, Estragon tends to take this very pessimistic point of view. Whereas Vladimir is very hopeful, and this will happen if we just wait. And then to show Estrogen's pessimism, it's like later, sorry, earlier in the novel on page nine, when they're waiting for Godot, and they get bored, 
And Estragon's response is asking Vladimir, well, why don't we hang ourselves? And I mean, to me, that's a pretty pessimistic, pretty pessimistic behavior. Yes, and if I recall, um, Vladimir responds in a very optimistic way, yes. Yeah, he basically said, will that make us happy? And then he was just going with it. So I yeah. mean, but like, once again, with the whole Godot being purpose, I feel like that kind of ties into that and the fact that you have people that they won't go out for their purpose, but they'll stay positive and hopeful and say it will eventually come. Right. Then you have people like Estragon who, when are lacking purpose, they resort to things such as hurting yourself or just giving up on life completely. Mm-hmm. So, smaller thing, do you think they work well as foils to each other in that sense, revealing each other's flaws and their philosophies, but also revealing the advantages of their philosophies? Very much so, yes. It's kind of in the fact that because of Vladimir's constant optimism, it kind of gets to the point where it feels like unreal, you know? It kind of feels like you're reading a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And then you have Estragon, who kind of keeps that realism and kind of keeps that darker side of life. Right. And I guess it's, like you said, because of how contrasting their personalities are, it really does a good job to show both aspects. And then, uh, I lost my train of thought. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. But at the same time, they also kind of show the flaws of each other. As I said before, Estragon's immediate response was harm and death whereas Vladimir kind of he tried to stay positive mm-hmm. and then while you're reading the novel it's also the first time reading it it's kind of very hard to pick out these personalities just because as we said before it's so circular so circular and repetitive well it's not even a circle it's just like you follow the path of the circle yet you never seem to find where you start yeah, you the never circle. end the circle it just keeps going it's a giant squiggle exactly but like the way the dialogue is written once again it's very existentialist in the fact that you feel like this is pointless and you kind of start to zone out and you kind of just lose focus of the book uh, the novel the play the play itself (laughs) just because like it all feels so pointless and i feel like that itself does a very good job to show the whole existentialist theme of the play very very interesting yes so I've got another uh, question. There's a character that uh, comes up later in the play, uh, Pozo and his slave Lucky. So there's something very strange about Lucky. He seems like a mindless slave, but then he puts on his hat. Ah, yes, the hat. And he just bumbles words that sound intelligent, but have no meaning when said together. What, yeah, that whole thing, oh my goodness. What do you think is the significance of that? And what does it mean if it has any meaning or if it's meaningless is the meaning? Well, if you like first understand the significance of that scene, you have to understand the kind of dynamic between Pozo and Lucky. So it's made very clear that Pozo treats Lucky as a slave and more as an animal than anything else. And so to me, my interpretation of that was kind of like, meant to show either the cruelty of man or the wickedness in man or really just the cruelty behind slavery and ownership of another human being. And so throughout all this, as I said, Posa treats like he's an animal and like he really doesn't speak. He doesn't act human really for the most part. But then 
Pozo permits Lucky to quote unquote think. And he puts his hat on Lucky's head. And we tend to associate, you know, clothing as a human thing. So I feel like by putting the hat on Lucky's head, that was kind of giving him a little more humanity, kind of civilizing him and giving him permission to think. And when Lucky thinks, oh boy, does he have a lot to say. So much to say that almost he can't possibly link it all together. Yes, it's like he's been bottling in these thoughts for too long. And so when they come out, they're just not very well drunk. Yes, yes, yes. But I feel like that was kind of meant to show like the fact that, you know, say we relate this to slavery. When someone owns another person, it limits that slave so much in their capacity of independent thought and independent personality. And so then you give them this chance to think and there's so much that they want to contribute. But because they only get such a limited amount of time or because it's so rare and so new, it's a struggle. But then rather instead of giving them that time to try to help them or allow them time to catch up on their own thoughts, you cut them off again because you think, oh, they're inferior. Yeah. And so I feel like that was kind of meant to tie into, as I said before, the slavery thing and the fact that once we abolished slavery, we said, oh, well, African-Americans are all dumb or stupid because they weren't educated. Yes. And it wasn't their fault they were uneducated it's because we treated them as animals. Yes. And so to me, that was kind of a tie into that. And I think that was kind of, as I said, meant to show the fact that while humans carry independent thoughts and while they can be brilliant things with multiple things to say, there will always be more humans to hold that back, kind of making that brilliance pointless. Yeah. Right back to existentialism. I like Everything's that. pointless. At the end of the day, though, does that whole blamoring that Lucky was going on about have any less significance than the intelligent and organized ideas of Vladimir and Estragon? Well, both of you two say that Estragon, Estragon, Estragon and Vladimir had organized conversations. Yes, but at the end of the day, is it any more meaningful than anything they say throughout this play? I mean, if anything, it's less meaningful. How so? And the fact that Vladimir and Estragon, once again, they at least discover this theme of purpose and they discover this you know, they at least completely, you know, repeatedly relate back to Godot and the boy and they communicate with Pozo and they kind of review all these, like, they reveal all these, like, overarching themes. Whereas Lucky, well, as I just talked about the whole significance behind his thing, that was more just one theme. Right. So, in a way, it's almost like because he's a slave and because he doesn't, he isn't meeting his hierarchy of needs enough as the other people around him, his lack of sophistication makes him have a hard time understanding the very concept of purpose. I believe so. And even in Lucky's speech, if you read close enough, and because of how long and messy the speech is, I will not be reading it out loud. But you'll see that he does repeatedly touch on the topic of everything being pointless. Hmm. And he talks about how, like, you know, the beach will build up with sand and yet the ocean just washes it away. Whoa. And he... <laughs> but he covers many themes similar to that. And once again, it just kind of ties into the whole theme of just everything is pointless. And in a way, it's painted as something that's kind of beautiful. 
maybe. I'm not sure beautiful is the word, but I'd say definitely captivating. Beautiful. Let's go with captivating. I'm gonna go with beautiful. Okay. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, eventually, Pozo and Lucky just kind of get out of there. They're like, okay, bye. And then after that, another character comes in. This is the boy. Ah, yes, the boy. The boy. So, <clears throat> when the boy first arrives, he explains to Estragon and Vladimir that he works for Godot. And Godot is not with him, so Estragon and Vladimir get upset. They question him, well, why isn't Godot with you? Why aren't you bringing him to us? And the boy repeatedly tells them, oh, he'll come tomorrow. Oh, he'll come another day. Oh, you just have to wait, but he will come. And he leaves. Well, then you cut to the next day, and the boy comes back, and there's no Godot. And so it's kind of the same situation over again. It kind of just implies this cycle. And so because of that whole fact that he comes back and gives them this false hope of he will be back tomorrow, you just have to trust me. To me, it was almost like the boy was meant to either either represent false hope or meant to represent religion. And to me, that was because a lot of people go to religion because they're seeking this purpose in their life. They're looking for something to let them have a life that's meaningful. Mm And so when the boy comes to them and he doesn't have Godot with him, he doesn't have this purpose, people get upset and they turn against it. They turn against their religion. They turn against the boy in this. But the boy assures them, he says, you just have to wait. You have to have patience. And he repeatedly tells them this, and yet it seems to be pointless. And so I feel like that kind of ties into the whole, one I just said before, religion does not bring you purpose you have to be willing to find the purpose in religion. And so I feel like that ties, as I said too, as I said earlier, into the whole theme that the reason Estragon and Vladimir are not finding the dough is because they're waiting for him and not going to him. So they rely on the boy to bring Godot to him. But you have to remember, it's just a boy. Just like while religion is a very powerful thing, yes, in the end, it's just a belief. And it's how you treat and manage that belief that determines if you ever truly find that purpose, or in this case, if they ever truly find Godot. That was pretty awesome. Thank you. I never considered the boy that way. In fact, I never really understood the meaning of the boy until now, and I just feel enlightened. (laughs) That, like, that was pretty awesome. It was... Definitely interesting. It was kind of a light bulb moment to realize. I was like, hmm, this is a familiar scene. Oh, wait. <laughs> I've seen this before. <laughs> Where have you seen this in your life? Everywhere. This is a very prominent issue in most religions. Mm-hmm. Is you expect this religion to give you the key to life when that's not quite how it works. I think I like to think of religion as more of a philosophy, a way of seeing things. Yes. Yeah, it's much more like a guide to how to live yes. than clear instructions that will bring you a reward at the end. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely, you have a lot of insight in this, being religious yourself. Yes. It's a very common misconception. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like Beckett did a very good job of portraying that with the whole scenes with the boy. Indeed. And like, it even... And I'm sorry to keep going about this, but oh, no, keep going. you'll see that Estragon, obviously, being the pessimist, we expect him to have this negative reaction. 
But even Vladimir, who is the optimistic one through all of this, he loses patience with the boy. He grows infuriated and keeps yelling at him and growing impatient and saying, where is this? And I feel like that also goes to show that with religion, even the positive people and the faithful ones, they will lose hope because they're waiting for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that kind of goes to show that power behind really just expectancy. Yes. And the fact that as humans, we have this natural tendency to want things to be given to us. Yes. Rather than going out to them. Yes, for sure. So Estragon's just an angry atheist. I don't know. I'm not even sure what he would be religion-wise in this. I just know he is very much of a pessimist. Yeah. Much darker than his his little partner here, Vladimir. Yes, for sure. Well, do you think you want to end it off there? I think that was a pretty good ending. I suppose so. All right. I guess moral of the story of this whole play is if you want a purpose, you go out and get it, or else everything is going to be pointless. I like to think that's our word of the day. Carpe diem? (laughs) (laughs) Carpe diem? Not quite. I was going to say pointless, but... Right. Well, I mean, it works. Both work. Do they? No, pointless. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Well, (laughs) thank you for listening. All right. That was the grand finale of Amber and Sarah's Epic Podcast. I hope you enjoyed. We'll see you back for episode three tomorrow. We have episode three. Yes, we have to compare and contrast two plays. Oh, that's going to be fun. We will see you back for episode three tomorrow. tomorrow.